Venture capital is an ecosystem made up predominantly of men. In a business where women are few and far between, how does one set herself apart and create opportunities for career growth? And how does she make herself indispensable? In this episode of Privately Speaking, you'll hear host and KPMG audit partner Erica Whitmore talk with Eva Ho, general partner, Fika Ventures, to discuss her career within venture capital. So Eva, excited to have you here with us today. Um, I think your background is incredible. I think our listeners will just learn a lot from you. Um, Just in the preparation alone, I'm just all glowy and excited. So anyways, maybe we will start. Your background is incredible, but I think you give it best. So if you could just give us a few minutes on your background, that would be wonderful. Sure thing, Erica, and thank you to you and your team for inviting me. It's a real honor to be part of this. Um, so, yeah, I'll give you a quick background. Uh, you know, I grew up um, not in the U.S. I'm, a, I'm an immigrant, um, a refugee from the country of Mozambique, Africa. It's a small country for those that might not have heard of it. Um, and we, I immigrated here with my family after a civil war uh, where we lost everything. So we literally arrived into Boston with $99 and start all over again. So um, my parents my dad was a simple farmer uh from africa um and it was quite a shock arriving into boston and experiencing our first winter uh, and a change in language and uh and everything so um so that sort of set sort of the stage for an interesting journey uh to where i am today um but we were very lucky i think in in short uh our family um was able to take advantage of the a lot of the benefits of being an american um and getting free access to education and healthcare um, and lots of social benefits that allowed us to survive. Um, we actually became, my dad is, is a born entrepreneur, um, but both of my parents, just for context, um, are second grade educated people and didn't speak any English, but they have yeah. an entrepreneur spirit in them. And we started a small restaurant in Boston. Um, and that's where I learned, I got my first job of working there uh, while going to school at 11 years old. And doing taxes and all those good things. But yeah, that set a really nice stage and a really nice set of experiences that I probably didn't appreciate back then. Uh, I was a pretty sure. grumpy child, uh, <laughs> resentful, resentful child. Um, but today I look back, it's uh, given me a lot of sort of a, the work ethic that I still lean on a lot today. That's amazing. I mean, I just, uh, just to think about um, all the things you went through, I think you mentioned when we were preparing living in you know, maybe some conditions that weren't the best, et cetera. And, and I'm going to go off script here a little bit, Eva, but I do want to tap into just a little bit and maybe it's just a few minutes, right? But how do you think that shaped your work ethic and how you saw things through a very different lens than perhaps others who have landed in, in the similar field that you're in, which is venture capital investing? Yeah, I think probably the greatest lesson my parents, I mean, my, because my parents were not educated we didn't have either the time or the inclination to sit around the dinner table every night talking about what books I should read or get sure. great career advice because they didn't have any of that themselves. But I think what my dad specifically always told me is like, just put in the hard work, um, be excellent at what you do, commit to what you do. Um, and that will get you much further than brains and everything else. Um, <laughs> or so I think t- I've taken that lesson to this day. And when I talk to young people is like, whatever you're choosing, whatever you're working on, whether it's a small project or, or um, you know, your job or a volunteer opportunity is just like put your heart into it, make an impression. Um, and 
you know, Absolutely. really form that net network that remembers you for sort of your good work. And from that, that will eventually help you find sort of your own voice and your confidence. Um, so that was what my dad always told me, like, you know, you may not be the smartest girl in the room, um, but I know you're going to work the darn hardest. And watching the way they work and we all had to work, that just became ingrained that, you know, today I'm still a workaholic for better or worse. Um, but it's just, you know, it's very different when you grow up in that environment uh, yeah. that you just bring bring a lot of those attributes to, um, you know, whatever somebody's doing, I'm going to do it twice as hard. Twice as hard. Uh, yeah. And I think that that's that's gotten me really far, honestly. So. Yeah. No, absolutely. And and in terms of just thinking about, you know, there's not a whole lot of individuals, right, that are in a position that you're in. And and I do think there's a lot of women as well as individuals from diverse backgrounds that would like to be where you are. What what do you think um, in terms of, you know, challenges that you went through or maybe a turning point in your career? You know, what what was it that that led you to where you are? Yeah, I'm not sure, Erica, that there's like one single thing, to be honest. And I think in looking back, um, there was very little premeditation. It wasn't yeah. You know, it wasn't like I I saw my some life ahead of me and I had some goals I wanted to reach. And, you know, somebody you know, I didn't have any mentors who say, hey, you need to do these four things right. so that you have a better, better chance of hitting that goal. I mean, I work with a lot of women today and people of color in that sort of planning, you know, your career goals and stuff like that. But I didn't have any of that when I was, you know, uh, when I was growing up and, and when I was starting my career. So I think a lot of. um what got me here was that lesson was like, I will be put into a position, um, you know, whatever that role might be. And I quickly able to establish like that I could do good work, that people could rely on me. Um, and I always brought value to the table. Um, and because of that, people always remembered me. And when they moved on to like another job or they started a company or they started a fund, um, you know, I was always called upon. Like I, you know, I've been very fortunate, Erica, that I've never had to look for a job in my life. Um, every job right. led to somebody else opening a door or a couple of doors for me. Um, and I think the thing to think about, um, and I don't take that at all for granted. Um, I think I had some wonderful people in my life. But I think in that sort of in that vein, the thing to think about is really how much risk do you want to take? So I think they opened the door for me and said, hey, like, you know, you might want to leave this because you know, I left Google. Like, We sold our company to Google pre-IPO in 2003, and I was at Google for about five, six years. You know, uh, the L.A. office here for Google was our company. You know, we were the first satellite office. Um, and now it's, you know, eight, nine thousand people strong in Los Angeles. But right. um, I could I could Google because. Sure. I was the Google girl, you know, I was, I was on the plane in the early days with my little Timbuktu bag and I had a little yeah. Google logo and they're like, oh, you're the Google girl, you know, up from LA. And that was very comfortable and obviously very like, you know, nice place to be. Um, so I could have just rode that for a long time. And a lot of my colleagues did, like they were there for 10, 20, 30 years, made a ton of money. Yeah. Um, but at some point, I think um, I had to, you know, some doors opened and I had to make the decision. Do I leave my comfy job at Google where I have you know, lots of shares and equity, or do I go try something else and start a company? And right. somehow my personality, maybe because of my father, who's a big adventurer, like always lean into some sort of risk with career, not with necessarily money, because I'm very conservative in other parts of my life, but like with career, I was always like, oh man, like I love that person. They're starting a company. 
I'm going to go take the leap. And that's how I landed in co-founding a company called Factual with Gil Elbaz, who's a very well-known LA um, entrepreneur. So it's those doors. And I think for people, you have to, I always say, take more risk than you think you're comfortable with. You sure. know, it's easy to stay in a stable place where you have all the things. But sometimes when you take that leap, and, and then I took the leap to investing, which a lot of people thought I was a little crazy too. Um, it, has, it has always turned out well. And maybe that's not the case for everyone. So this is not, the advice might not apply to everyone. But I think that's like, find a way to have more doors opening. And when they open, uh, you know, lean into some risk, the risk that you're comfortable with. So, or, or not even not comfortable with. You know, one thing that we talked about in when we were just kind of planning this out that is really had resonated with me that I, I really want our listeners to hear about is it, it does sound like there was a turning point before you went into full on investing. And, and maybe I got that a little bit wrong, but I think there were some challenges that you were facing in your current situation that I really think the listeners could benefit from hearing. Can you talk just a little bit about that turning point? Um, kind of when you changed career paths? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think as a minority um, and uh, as a woman, it didn't hit me till many years later because I was so grateful for the opportunities, right? Like when I was in the middle of my early companies, I was having a great time and I did not recognize at that point. And also the topic back then yeah. of, you know, diversity and all these sort of bad behaviors that, you know, got uncovered in the recent years were not really talked about. I was just grateful. I had a lot of gratitude. Like, I was like, at least I'm around the table. Maybe they didn't treat me exactly the same, but I, my gratitude overweighed any sort of concern or doubt. Um, but as the years gone went by and I, you know, got more confident in sort of what I was bringing to the table, um, right. and as I learned more that I wasn't sometimes recognized for it, um, by other people who are mostly male and white, um, I started to ask myself, like, you know, what's stopping me from being the CEO? You know, why am I always second in command, honestly, you know? Um, right. Is it me or is it them? Um, and instead of blaming them, I just said, well, even if you think you can do it, like, you know, like, go try, you know? And that's, that's when I decided that, you know, I was going to step off and give it a shot because if I stayed in the the current construct I was always underneath certain people right. where the power dyna the dynamics was not always 100% balanced and um, and again I'm not blaming on any specific people because I certainly played sure. a part um, yeah. but unless I created my own opportunity where I was the leader uh, I couldn't really affect change and I certainly couldn't affect change for a broader group of people because it's under the current sort of cultural construct so when yeah. I started the funds I swore to myself like I'm going to do it a bit differently um, yeah. and sort of recognize some of these inherent biases in the uh, tech ecosystem and and play my little part in trying to make some change. So your little part, so this is one of the parts I'm super excited about. I want to hear, you know, maybe just a little bit about how you started dipping your toe into the water, right? But then also about your current current um, fund, because I think it's just outstanding. And I really want our, our listeners to hear kind of what the mission is and, and what you guys are trying to do. I really appreciate that, that question, Erica. Um, I fell into investing and in, um, almost quite by accident. It's another of those doors that, you know, was shown to me. Um, and I kind of took a peek and my first reaction was like, oh, that's horribly uncomfortable yeah. growing up you know, with my background, um, writing checks, you know, based on a napkin 
idea seems seemed honestly incredibly ludicrous. Right. Um, and so it was a very uncomfortable place to be. I mean, operating a company for me is very different because it's kind of like, you know, that's very comfortable. And then sure. to move up over to the investing side was very uncomfortable in the early days. Um, but I gave it a shot and I gave myself some time with the first fund, Sousa Ventures. It was a small fund with three other male partners. Um, and really from that journey learned, I liked what I was doing, um, but it wasn't executed exactly the way I had hoped to. Uh, yeah. in terms of some of the community work I wanted to do, as well as my commitment to Los Angeles, a city that has given me so much. So yeah. I went and started, started FICA um, in late 2016 with one other partner. Um, and the reset for me there was, can I build a fund um, that truly had a uh, organic double bottom line feel where we're going to aim to be a top performing fund. And in the venture world, the lingo is you want to be in like the top 5% uh, right. of sort of returns. Um, and can I try to aim for that while also, you know, investing in ideas that will really impact society uh, at large, um, important areas like education and healthcare, uh, workforce enablement, um, all these things, reskilling that, you know, I cared about. Um, and my team cares about. So it was an experiment when we started FICA. Um, it was very hard to raise the money, Erica. The first fund was $41 million. Um, despite having a track record operating, I was still a woman, a kind of unknown woman sure. in Los Angeles, not from Silicon Valley, didn't work at a big fancy fund, didn't have a network of rich family offices, which is how most people raise their first fund. Um, and we made 600 uh, we had 600 meetings to raise $41 million. So, wow. That, yeah. So wow. that just tells you, yeah. So it was hard as heck. Um, and I think a lot of people who are starting emerging managers today, um, when they say, give me a piece of advice, I was like, you got to just put in the work. Um, it may or may not work out, but it's not like money is going to fall from the sky. And I always remind them, I never went in feeling like somebody should just give me money to manage because who the hell am I, right? Like, why right. should I manage for you? Why should I manage $41 million? Like, why me and why not the person sitting next to me at WeWork, you know? So I came in with that mentality. I may or may not be able to do this. And if I'm not, if I'm not able to do it, I'm not going to truly take it personally because there's yeah. tons of smart people running around um, that can probably do this job quite well. Um, so it was, again, going back to my work ethic thing, like it was pure crazy ass effort. Yeah. Um, and I tell like managers today, I was like, if you're not making five calls a day, like you're probably not going to get there. You know, you like, if you don't have the network, you don't have the rich parents or whatever, you're probably not going to get there. Right. Um, so that's what we did. My partner and I, and you know, lo and behold, behold today, FICA manages about 300 million. Uh, you know, we're about half years sold and um and investing in the areas that we really care about and hopefully we'll move the needle for solving some of the bigger problems in society that's amazing i am just i just got goosebumps like that is just outstanding good good for you and your team and and that that is just that's outstanding maybe what i'll add one point that's important is yeah. um i think a lot of people don't understand the investment stakeholders in the stack. I mean, you at KPMG do um, because you work with a lot of these folks, but to change the system, I mean, there's a structural issue with diversity that's very, um, you know, systemic. Um, yeah. So, you know, all the people that own the money up top at the universities and endowments and foundations tend to be less 
diverse and that money is driven to managers like myself, um, you know, who tend to be less diverse. And then that less money flows to uh, diverse founders. And that's why we are left with horrible uh, numbers in terms of the percent of capital that goes to diverse founders, right. whether it's women or people call it horrible, horrible, you know, what are the um, stats, Eva? Do you have, do you have the stats? Yeah. So, uh, for the amount, the number of women that manage money that have check writing abilities at partner level, uh, I think we're about 13% in the U S. Um, and so this is the way we calculate that you take all the partners at all the funds that are above 25 million in the U S and then you take the people that have check writing abilities. It's about 13% today. When we started all raise, which is a wonderful nonprofit organization, uh, with the likes of Aileen Lee and others, like it was at uh, 9% about three okay. and a half years. So there is, there is progress, yeah. but it's a bit, it's a bit glacial. Um, and then the dollars that go to women today are in the single digits. The dollars that go to black and Hispanic and Latinx is like one to 2%. And with COVID it's actually gotten worse. So, oh, you know, no. that's the, the inequities and the disparities have widened because again, every in a, in a state of this nature where people are isolated um, it just reinforces the old networks of power. Sure. Sure. Um, and so with that, you know, if you're not in this, those concentric circles, the right concentric circles, like you're not, you're not going to be able to raise money. So the money is going back to the same people. So that's what we've been seeing. Um, so it's this sort of the, the collective effort of a lot of folks. Um, uh, you have to really be committed for the long term because it's, it really is like two step forward and one step back. Yeah. Right. And, you got to have the heart to want to stick into it because it's a very uh, ch- challenging journey. So I wanted yeah. just to state that just because I think it's important for people listening. If there's yeah. anybody out there where this can influence their thinking of where they take money. So for us, like where we've applied, not only do we try to back diverse people, but who we take the money from is also so important. And when I did fund one, my 41 million, 600 calls, I didn't have any choice. I mean, I, I was going to yeah. take whatever checks were going to come in because I was just grateful. But now as we, you know, sh- our fund has shown the ability to perform uh, when we raised fund three recently, this is early uh, mid this year. Um, we were able to raise it in two months and oh, wow. we had, were deeply oversubscribed because Amazing. people like love, love the mission. They like the performance. They like the partnership. And because of that, I actually could choose my limited partners. You know, right. like the people above me, I could choose. So I don't have to choose, you know, firms that are all male. Like I could choose. And, I, and we chose actually, instead of choosing, you know, university endowments like Harvard, I greatly respect Harvard. They don't need, they, they don't need me. They don't need FICA. They, you know, they have Sequoia. They have amazing yeah. funds that they can get access to. I, we actually chose smaller universities that had, you know, less than $2 billion in endowment where we might be one of the first venture fund exposure. Sure. And with that, yeah. it motivates me every morning to wake up and not fail for them. Because if they, right. if I lose their ten million dollars that they gave me, it matters a lot, and it matters in terms of how, whether they're going to invest in other funds or not. So, anyways, I think that as you know, as I've gone more into this part of my career, I realize like I could affect different parts of the ecosystem. Excuse me, a little bit differently. And yeah. I hope there are managers out there. If there are managers out there listening that are your clients. Um, that try to keep that in mind. Like, why do you do this job? Why do you wake up to do this job every day? And there's so many areas that you could affect change, even if it feels, you know, small, uh, small some days, but there are lots of, lots of levers. 
I'm so glad that you that you took the time to explain that because I think that is super super important and I thank you very much. I think that is very important and and yes, some of us have varying de- varying degrees of understanding that, but kind of hearing the stats with it and frankly hearing that it was easier for the third fund is outstanding. So hopefully more to come, right? <laughs> so you're not retiring for like 30 years, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if I have that energy, but uh, but I'm, I'm glad to be able to do it today. And th- thanks again for all your time. I'm here if you need anything, but uh, this was super fun and I really appreciate the privilege of doing this with you all. Thank you for listening to the KPMG Privately Speaking Podcast. And be sure to subscribe to the series to be notified of new episodes.